Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Books and the Biz. I am here with my cohort, Rich Veltre. Rich, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Dan? I am wonderful. Another lovely day at the office. And actually, <laughs> just before we got on here, we were kind of talking about communication because it sounded like you were getting a few emails from clients. So <laughs> lots of communication going on. But uh, as we all know, email is not the only form of communication, nor is it the most effective. This and I was always curious when it comes to communication, what a finance guy thinks about communication, because I always hear about the numbers. I never hear about how those numbers get translated, anything that matters to whether it's the, the front line to the middle management to anyone other than the CEO. So spill your wealth of knowledge on what communication does to an organization financially. Um, well, I would tell you that over the last, especially over the last few years, communication has risen on my priority list of anything that I do when I'm working on a project. Um, and the reason becomes that lack of communication is really a, a major detriment. And I would put a significant emphasis on the communication between operations and finance. Mm -hmm. um, way too many examples of where something went significantly wrong because those two departments were not talking. Do you uh, have an example that you would like to share? I have a few examples. <laughs> <laughs> now remember, sanitize it to protect the guilty. Understood. No names, no names. Protect the innocent. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I had one example. We were working on a company that had a significant problem with their supply chain. I came in after management was basically let go because they really clearly had no idea how to work this company that was a moneymaker until they showed up. <laughs> and, and so I walked in and I'm looking at my sales projections and I'm saying, okay, these sales are dropping like flies, like just, just dropping down to the point where I didn't think I was going to be there more than six months. And started talking to the operations manager who they brought back at the same time that they brought me in and the two of us just kind of put our heads together and said, here's what we need to do. Um, and we arrested that drop of the sales along with the assistance of the overall strategy was being shifted. Okay. Um, and because of our very, very close communication, we were able to really get control over finances, the back, uh, the back warehouse, everything that was going on suddenly was, was working in cohesiveness. So what wasn't happening prior to that? How were, how was anything getting done? Well, nothing was getting done. I think that was part of the problem. The, 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 the scary, funny part about the whole thing was the CFO was let go or he quit one or the other. And they tried to use the controller to be the CFO while this decline in sales was happening and people were screaming for money and bank was up in arms. So they brought in this controller and the controller basically would get a piece of paper that seemed like, oh, this is important and I don't know what to do with it. And he would throw it in the closet. <laughs> so literally, you know, I'm laughing because I came in and one of the first things we had to do was go through the closet because that's not a metaphor. That was really, he was really putting it in there the There were closet. skeletons in the closet. <laughs> for real, for real. Um, so once we got a hold of that and realized where we actually were, we could put a plan in place. But there was 
there was basically all knee jerk reaction of, Oh, this guy's going to show up and padlock the rent. Okay. Well, that's a reaction we have to take care of. Um, you know, eventually we did turn the company around. So, um, communication was a huge part of that. Um, and, and you can see along the way, along the, it took us four years to do it. So along that four years though, um, there were other snafus where mm-hmm. somebody didn't tell somebody else a detail. And then we walked into the audit because this was an audited entity and the accountants caught it. And you're sitting there going, had somebody just opened their mouth, we wouldn't be in that position. And now I got to change my results by $400,000, Ouch! you know, and we were private equity owned. So they weren't very happy. <laughs> I can't understand why. <laughs> so help me out here because I'm sure yeah. some people might be wondering and they're thinking, well, controller, financial person, they should be able to step in and do this. What would you tell somebody is the main difference between having a controller versus having somebody that's a CFO? Um, so the, the, the primary example, I'll, I'll do it in almost a triangle. Okay. The CFO is at the top. He's the leader. He should be dealing with anything related to a dollar amount. Okay. Something that has to do with an outside report or something going out to an investor or to a bank, you know, he's responsible. Um, but underneath him, usually at a, on a company that's relatively small, you might have just a controller, but on a, as you grow, you really need both a controller and what I call an FP&A manager. Um, the controller is really an accountant. The controller is in charge of everything that has already happened. So financial reports that show your results to date, that's a controller. Mm-hmm. The FP&A manager really doesn't look backwards. They don't look and at the what's already And the FP&A manager stands for what? For those uh, who Sorry about that. I'm horrible, when I, I'm horrible <laughs> when I throw acronyms out. That's why I'm here to catch you on the acronyms. Uh, financial, financial planning analysis or the it. FP and the A. Okay, so you want somebody at that point to take the results of what's already happened and turn it into what we think is going to happen. So that person should be looking forward, making plans, dealing with budgets, forecasts. That's really their, you know, kind of that's that's their bread and butter. And how does the CFO then kind of marry those two together? What what ultimately I mean, are you then the final decision maker, the strategist that helps those two? How does that work? Um, yes, I use the, the data and everything that they produce to be able to look at kind of both sides. So for me, in a, in a really successful CFO role, I should be looking at the top lines, like the, 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 the real important pieces from both sides and taking both into account before making any kind of decision or advising the CEO. Um, or getting involved in talking to the COO, which a lot of times, you know, that's an important level of communication as well. Mm. I can see where that would be uh, helpful from a communication standpoint. So now you're, this is where it's also important for communication, maybe to specialize a little bit, because it sounds like the uh, FP&A guy does things differently than the controller does. And each looks at, at a different set of, of data. Um, now, in a smaller company, as you pointed out, you probably don't have the one. You probably just have the controller. And you, some cases, I would even argue that you might not even have that. You might just have a guy that's labeled yeah. CFO, and he is the jack of all trades. Now, yeah. how does that person communicate through the organization You know what needs to be done from a financial side? On the small entity where there's... Yeah. 
Not a big department there. Yeah. Um, I'll give I you the hard the, one first. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah give you the, the hard, hard one first. first. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that person really has to be a very, um, they have to be agile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very agile. Because if they're the only person there, they're not just the CFO. The title doesn't mean anything. At that point, the CFO has his sleeves rolled up or her sleeves rolled up um, and is into everything. So they have to know a little bit of how to do the backward looking as well as the forward looking and maybe utilize some resources from places where you wouldn't expect. I had um, I had one client that as they grew, they had some backing. So they had a fair amount of sort of operational or marketing and push for that kind of money to be spent. Back office didn't have a lot. So the office manager wound up doing an awful lot of work. Um, just she was the person who kept everything organized. So almost acted like a controller as well as the, you know, office person and, you know, dealt with rent, dealt with the, you know, there's no coffee in the break room. And you know, <laughs> she had a little bit of everything that she had to do. I know office managers like that. And I think they would agree with you that they're, they're jacks of all trades. That's for sure. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> now, one thing I've noticed, and this is no cut on financial people. This is just an observation because we all communicate differently and, and what makes us good at what we do sometimes hinders us in other ways. I find highly analytical people tend to not be really effective communicators because by their nature, I, I think of accountants and, and by no means comparing you to accountant, but they are financial people. They tend to like to sit in front of their computer and crunch on numbers and aren't always really good at, at getting that information out to the people that know. Mm-hmm. Um, do you tend to see that too? And, and what would you recommend to a, a financial person to be more effective on how they communicate with other members of the team, whether it be leadership or operations? Um, that's a good one. <laughs> so, um, it, it's funny because I, I can agree with that to a, to a pretty large extent. Um, there was a, a meme that came across, I hate talk memes, but, um, I, there was a meme that came across not too long ago where it actually showed a guy in a completely dressed down, casual outfit, sneakers, jeans, a t-shirt, right? Next to him is a guy in like, you know, pressed slacks and a button down and a blazer on. And they said, the, the meme basically just said accountant versus FP&A. Ah. So the accountant's the guy who's just, you know, likes to be there with his numbers and his computer and, you know, is casual, totally casual. And then the FP&A guy is a little bit more flashy, a little bit more out there, basically, you know, and I think the, the subtitle or the additional subtitle of it basically said, there is no FP&A without an accountant. So the two of them are walking together, but there's a difference between the two people. So I found that very interesting. I actually, I don't think I saved it though. So I really wish I had, um, but we'll find it a, and we'll share it later. How's that? There's a big, there's a big difference, right? But the, the flashier, you know, FP&A going out and trying to attract financing, trying to attract investors, you know, wearing the suit and the tie, but you can't forget that the FP&I, FP&A goes nowhere without a good accountant, without right. a good accounting. So if your systems are all set, maybe that maybe one of those guys isn't really there and you're working off of the systems, but you're right. Someone has to be able to communicate to the outsiders, especially what's Mm -hmm. going on on the inside. 
Yeah. And that's, that's always the biggest challenge. I, so I tend to be more introverted in nature. I tend to be more analytical as well. And I don't know about you, but I know there's a lot of things that I assume come out of my mouth that are rattling around in my head and never spoken out loud. So I have to be very conscious when uh, working with clients or, or even my wife, my wife will tell you, I'm, I'm pretty good at making assumptive calls on what I actually say versus what I think I said. Um, <laughs> and maybe you see that too, but I think that's very true of, of different personality types. And while we're not going to get into a whole personality thing here, um, every company is going to have different personality sets. You, you pointed out the difference between the FB&A guy and the accountant and, and how you know one's going to look typically one way, one looks another way, and they're probably going to communicate differently too. I mean, I see it on a production floor where you have the people that, again, really analytical, need time to process information compared to the guy that's more like a football coach or a drill sergeant will just run out there, bark out orders, expect results, and you know, they're off to the next thing. Um, how do you manage that across the company? What have you seen from your experience that's really been helpful in maybe some of your past projects where you've seen really good communication? Um, I think that um, I was working on a, a, on a very large uh, third-party logistics company. And one of the things that they did was actually assess, they had one of these uh, personality tests that they had everybody take and you got your results. And it basically said whether you were a good communicator or whatever, they, they were able to figure out from the questions what they would you know, pinpoint you to. And what they did after that was pretty interesting. They went and they actually took each person's personality and figured out, well, who's the communicator and tried to push them into more of a leadership role. And then you're not so much of a communicator, but you're more analytic. Okay, how can you support the guy in the leadership role? Mm. And it and they formed sort of the department, okay, um, mm -hmm. to put everybody in a position to utilize their strengths as best as possible. Okay, but it also identified, you know, here's some things that maybe you want to move, because if you're not happy with that assessment, you know, we're letting you know what's being seen. So here's what you can do to kind of change. So maybe you become the leader as we continue to grow. So I found that very interesting that they went person by person almost to figure it out. Um, and then it conglomerated or conglomerate. I don't know if this is the right word, conglomerated <laughs> it inside of the departments and then the departments into the actual locations, which one was headquarters. That was the one I was at. Um, so I just found it very interesting. They were able to break it down like that and get it down to the point where they were able to support, you know, the personnel. And then by having someone as a leader, you wind up with the information you needed but you're giving everybody else constructive criticism to get them to the point where maybe they can move up to the next one. That's actually a very good approach. I don't hear that used too often. It's similar to what I do with clients when it's working on building teams, because what I recognize is that everybody brings a different skill set to the table. We all communicate in different ways. Um, and each style of communication, while it might rub somebody else the wrong way, is absolutely necessary in order for the whole project to come together. If you didn't have somebody there that was barking out orders and holding people to timelines and, and keeping that accountability and pushing, 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 stuff wouldn't get done. 
At the same point, if you had only people like that, nothing would get done either because everyone's running around. It's like cats and laser pointers. They're just chasing any any new new goal or new shiny object that comes along. Then you have your cheerleaders and the cheerleaders are always the one that, you know, they're the ones that rally the troops. They're the ones that can work with anybody and pull anybody together. They're the eternal optimists. They're the, the people that, that get others excited about the project or what's happening. Again, if you didn't have those, you wouldn't get anything done because then there's nobody to really motivate anybody else. But at the same point, if you had only those people, they're, they're big picture dreamers and they, they're too busy dreaming to get anything done as well. Mm-hmm. Then you got your kind of the balance between the, what I call the analytics and, and the people side of things where they understand how to make a team work together. I call them your steady eddies. They're the people that can just chug along. Uh, they need a little bit more time to process things. They tend to be relatively non-emotional. There's no real highs or real lows with how these people project themselves to the rest of the team. Uh, the negative side of that is if if they're upset about something, usually you don't know it other than that they shut down. They just wall themselves off to anybody else. Um, but they're really good at kind of being that judge, you know, the, the looking at both sides of things and, and equalizing out everything. So you definitely need them for that. If you didn't have that, something would get missed because they're the ones there that are saying, well, what about this person or what about that person really on the, the people side of things? So then you have your last component, which is the analytics and the analytics are the guys that ask and gals that ask 10,000 questions and, and write up, you know, 20 page documents of of systems and processes and stuff that needs to be done. Well, if you didn't have them, you would have none of that. You wouldn't have the number crunchers. Right. You wouldn't have the data analysts. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, they take more time to process information. They tend to be more introverted, which means they they're not always as open to communication or that they they don't communicate as much or as well as others do. So you're right. You need that kind of balance all the way around if you want a good team. Now, at the same point, there's a lot of conflict that happens in those communication styles if you're not prepared for it. So actually, that is where personality tests can be very helpful to um, help people understand not only their style of communication, but other styles. Because one thing I've learned is I can't change anybody else, but I can change myself. So if I need to communicate to you in a certain way, I know how how you work and how you communicate. Yep. It's my responsibility as a leader or as a project manager, or whatever, to modify my style to match your needs. Now, hopefully what you're doing is you're building a team is everyone becomes more self-aware of that. And as a result, they also adjust their styles to match yours when it's necessary to do so. Yep. Um, you know, a lot of what got us two together to to get on this podcast and, and to work together was really the understanding that there's usually this disconnect between operations and finance. And I'm just curious from your perspective, what's the biggest disconnect you tend to see there from your side? And I can share with what's on mine later, but I'm, I'm interested to hear from a financial side, where do you see that disconnect happening? Um, I see it in a, in a number, I see it in a number of ways. Um, <laughs> I saw it just most recently in a company that was probably 30, 40 people, somewhere in that range. It was a, it was a decent sized company. Um, they had a six person, roughly seven person accounting and finance kind of department. None of them really knew what the other one was doing. Mm-hmm. So 
in the finance department itself, they were confused. Um, the CEO asked me, she's like, so what's your assessment of the department? I said, you don't have a department. She said, what do you mean? I said, you got seven people in different rowboats going different ways around the, the, around the river. I said, my biggest first goal is to get all of them in the same boat before they can even row in the same direction. So I said, you got, you got communication problems inside of the organization because you lack the leadership to basically say, here's what I want you to do and here's what our goal is. And then I said, you have another problem. And she said, what's that? I said, they're not talking to anybody. So the operations people were putting you know, personnel out to do a job and no one knew they were out there to do a job. Mm. And then the operations people decided that they were going to track things how they wanted to track things and didn't involve the finance company. So the next thing you know, the systems internally had 400 projects. The only problem is they only had 16 for real. Okay. Mm. So they had 386 projects that nobody was using or people were incorrectly putting numbers to. And then the accountants had no <laughs> idea what they were looking at. <laughs> so it comes down to actually understanding the two. And the funny part is when I got there, the first thing I did was I instituted a weekly operations meeting. And everybody said, what's that? I said, well, let's find out. I said, let's go in and actually just talk about what's actually happening so that finance knows what you're doing and you know what finance needs. Because most of the time, finance is just supporting operations right. you know, or reporting on what's happening in operations. Finance doesn't make decisions to you know, put this person over here or sign up this project or bring in a new customer. Finance just knows it happened and they know afterwards. You know, or if somebody wants to involve finance, finance can support by saying, look, that's not a profitable project. We need to do something a little bit different or, mm -hmm. you know, that's great. Thank you very much. We'll track it and we'll let you know how you're doing. Um, but without telling or talking amongst the, the, the two departments, it was just there's just no way that that was going to get fixed. Um, and timeline on that to turn it around and actually get that working is probably six to nine months. So, wow, you know, because it was that big of an undertaking on that small of a department. That's insane. But as you point out, it little little pieces take a lot to move sometimes. Um, you brought up something else there that I found interesting, and and what I also wanted to kind of segue into here is tools for communication. So the most common tool I see anymore, thanks to wonderful technology, is email. And I have a number of business owners, leaders, sometimes clients that believe that email is the end-all, be-all, only form of communication. And then they wonder why it never works and why certain people don't pay any attention to the emails or you know don't follow up like they should. Uh, what's been your experience with the different tools out there. Is there one tool that is better than another or are there multiple tools that you have to use? Um, I think I, 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 I refrain from saying one is better than the other because I think depending on the environment, some are probably better than others. I've used Asana, I've used Slack um, as communication tools as opposed to email. The only reason I don't like email, my own personal issue, I, you know, I, I love my outlook, but I don't want to have to search it all the time to, to go find something. <laughs> the search function is not 
its best function. Um, so if somebody says, oh, I sent you that email. Okay. I get a lot of emails every day. So when you say you sent it to me, I got to go search for it. How much time do I lose going to find something that someone says they sent me by email? Um, on top of that, is it the most reliable thing in the world? It's not horrible, but you know, nowadays it decides what goes into the, your spam folder. It decides what goes That's into the junk. You know, it decides whether it's a focused email or a not focused email. Um, and, you know, there could be very important documents on there. And if no one saves it somewhere else, that document sits in your email inbox. So I'm, I'm not a huge fan of email. I try to get people to use something else before they, you know, before they stay with that. Um, especially in the finance world. I mean, you got contracts, you've got you know, schedules of what, you know, is going to happen when you're building a facility or outfitting a mm -hmm. facility and you get the, here's the final budget for this, you know, for this construction over the next six months. Uh, okay. I don't remember seeing it. So nobody worked on it. Nobody put it into the budget. Nobody put it into the cash plan because they didn't either get it, didn't save it to the right place, not communicated to the right people. So um, I'm not a huge fan of email. You know, I, I leave with a, I stopped talking with a, a little bit of a joke. I remember working in an accounting firm where there was a woman there who on April 15th, and everybody knows what April 15th deadline is, <laughs> okay? At like 4.45, she emailed the client and said, you owe a, you owe a half a million dollars, have a nice day. <laughs> and... She left. She went home. It's April 15th. I'm done. My busy season's over. And I sat there and I said, did you, did he definitely get it? Does he know, <laughs> does he know that he owes that much money? Um, you know, cause just, and are you going to have to talk him off a cliff? <laughs> you know, if, if he gets that email tomorrow morning, he's late and he's not calling you. He's calling the partner at the firm. So, <laughs> so did you think about that? So it's so I'm not a huge fan of email because you just don't know if somebody really got it, if yeah. it's really covered. So I worry when somebody says I sent you an email. And I'd say that's that's also my biggest issue from an operation side, especially if you're in like a production environment. You might be on the floor four hours out of the day or eight hours out of the day. You might never see that email or you might check that email only a couple times. And maybe the first time you check, it's the day following to catch up on all the emails that were in your inbox. And I, I know for a fact, I get quite a few emails. And back when emails was still a fairly new technology, yes, it's been that long ago, um, I was working at a facility and I would get hundreds of emails a day and you'd wallow through, you know, there's a lot of stuff that didn't apply to you. There were stuff you'd get thrown on, on group, group email accounts for that would, you know, they'd send you information that had absolutely no relevance to you. So now you have to waste time physically sorting through that. But, you know, they're thinking that's good communication. It's absolutely not. Um, we also communicate in so many different ways. As you mentioned, there are other tools out there that, that are sometimes better for project management. But, um, you know, one thing that I heard you say early on when you were having the difficulty within the financial department of seven different people going seven different directions, you had a meeting and you had a meeting that had an agenda. It had a timeline. It had expectations. 
Uh, at least I'm making these assumptions because you were successful in getting it done. But, um, you know, meetings are wonderful tools, but meetings are also often overused, especially in the corporate environment where you would bounce from one meeting to the next. Nobody would make any decision other than to schedule a, another meeting to make another meeting. And <laughs> those drove me nuts. There, there was a company I was working for where the joke was, we are going to schedule a meeting to schedule another meeting to make a decision when we schedule that meeting. And all you did was the round robin and, and everyone would go in and you get ready to make a choice. It's like, well, we're not sure about it. So let's schedule another meeting and we'll make the decision then. Um, these things don't always happen in large companies. They happen in small companies too, depending oh, yeah. upon how that owner is. You know, if again, if you're more analytical, you want more information. The doom loop of highly analytical people is they never get enough information to make a decision. So then they're constantly reworking the information, trying to gather more to make make sure they're making the right choice. And it doesn't happen where, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, you have somebody who the moment you mention something, they're off like a rocket. Um, so you need all these different tools to work together and you need to keep those lines of communication open. I, now, the meetings you had, did you say those were daily or weekly? Uh, with operations, it was weekly. Weekly. With, okay. Uh, with the finance department, I started out daily. Yeah. Uh, every morning kind of went to, hey, let's sit down. What are you working on today? Where are you stuck? What do you need help with? Who do I have to call to make sure you're unstuck? Um, so in the beginning, anyway, we started pretty much every day um, on, in the finance department, but weekly on the on the ops connection. I didn't think there was much need to go more than once a week with ops. It was already 100% more than they were doing before. <laughs> which is already a definite improvement. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that those meetings are the hardest things to get implemented. Yeah. Because everyone says they're so busy, they don't have time to meet. Yeah. And I look at them and say, well, the reason you're so busy is because you're doing a lot of nonsense stuff that's not making any any work that you're doing any better. You're wasting a lot of time. If you didn't do that and you focused on a good meeting, of course, most people know most meetings are absolutely horrible, which is why they also don't want to have them. But if you structure a good meeting, it can be highly effective at getting things done. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe that's something in the future where we, we break down what a good meeting actually is. But, you know, the bottom line to me is, is this time sensitive? It's got a finite end. There is a decision other than strictly informational meetings there whatever decision needs to be made with that meeting there is an outcome by the end of that meeting at the time allotted and there is a clear understanding of who's going to do what following up and it sounds like you you had that both in the operations meeting you were hosting and the the finance meeting it was very clear when you left that meeting here's here's your task for the day the week whatever it might be yeah. um i just don't see most people doing that. They like to get together, have coffee, talk about whatever's going on, but they don't actually get to the heart of it. And then when it does become time to make a decision, especially difficult ones, there's this urge to push it off to some some other time that's less convenient, which then, of course, you have people sitting in that meeting going, well, why the hell am I here? It, yeah. If we're not going to make a decision, I still don't know what I'm doing. Then now I got to come back tomorrow or next week or whenever it's rescheduled. And that doesn't help me out. No. And um, the other thing I, I found was that, you know, be accountable, especially if you're the one calling the meeting, be accountable. And you be the one who says this has to be done. 
Um, I've worked too many times with CEOs who were so busy and it was like, okay, we're going to meet every Wednesday at 11 o'clock. Fabulous. I love it. It's on my calendar every day at 11 o'clock. Most of the people that were required to be in that meeting pretty much had taken it off their calendar by 1045 <laughs> because they knew it was not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so you wound up, you didn't know what was going on. So now yeah. you had to, so now we were becoming the people who weren't rowing the right direction because none of us met. The CEO wasn't there, you know, and then all of a sudden when you did have a meeting, all of a sudden she announced seven different plans that came out from all the things she's been doing for the last seven weeks and we've done nothing with it. Yep. So, you know, that doesn't help when you're the one trying to get everybody underneath you rowing in the same direction, but then you wind up rowing away from the company. It keeps you on your toes. That's it, for sure. <laughs> it does. It does. As well as adds a lot of frustration to you and, and everyone else involved. Um, yeah, I, I've even had clients I've worked with where, you know, you're trying to correct this meeting issue and, and get productive meetings in place. And after about three or four weeks with the owner not changing their habits, you get the same situation where they either just don't show up for the meeting or they, they cancel it altogether or look to you to cancel it because they know nothing's going to come of it. So it really does come down to that whole accountability piece. If you want the meeting, set the meeting, stick to it. Plans change. Yes, we get it. But then you you proactively you know, move the meeting or, or do what you need to do. But you can't just let stuff fester and you get too busy with your ADD and and now nothing gets done and, and all you get is a bunch of wasted time. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. <clears throat> Any other communication tips that I get from a finance guy? <laughs> um, I, okay. I think, <laughs> I think that, you know, from an operations standpoint, if you're not getting any communications from the finance side, um, we'll start with not getting any. Okay. Scream. Mm -hmm. Scream. Absolutely 100% scream. Why not? Why don't you have those numbers? Okay. Or if you're getting numbers that are three months old, why are you getting numbers that are three months old? Okay. Um, and if you get something, let's go to the second phase, right? If you get something from finance and you don't understand it, scream, <laughs> scream a second time. Um, because that means the finance department doesn't know what you need or is sending you something that doesn't make any sense or doesn't help you. What are you looking to know? So whether you're an operations service or operations manufacturing, you know, you need numbers from accounting. Absolutely 100% need numbers from accounting so you can see what's going on. I had one client, I was very much suspicious. They couldn't get the numbers done. And I was very much suspicious that inventory was getting, was disappearing. And couldn't get to the point where I could understand it, but nobody in operations asked, not once. Hmm. They had no idea that this was going on. So you're looking around and saying, somebody please, you know, notice the info like tell me that you notice that it's happening otherwise i have to assume maybe you know about it <laughs> and you don't want to hear from me um but i think i think that finance has things that they might not even know what they have so it really takes the operations person to see it and say well that doesn't make any sense 
I hear that all the time. And I actually love when I hear that. Sounds crazy that I love it, but I love it because I got a second set of eyes telling me I'm not right. Why am I not right? Give me some leads to figure out why I'm not right. Because it could be procedural. It could be, you know, bad staffing. It could be where I have to train somebody on something, you know, but it leads me to a, to a reaction that's a good reaction. So that's why I say, take a look. If you're not getting reports, look, because make sure that the finance department isn't kind of sitting in the background saying, well, somebody will ask me sometime. <laughs> That is an excellent point, and that, that's actually a good one to, to leave with here. It looks like I'm having an out-of-body experience again on my my voice versus my video. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's so critical that all departments work together, talk together, and it's you shouldn't shame anyone for not understanding something because yeah. when that happens, then effective communication is lost and more problems, more costly problems occur. So excellent point, Rich. And with that, and me being frozen in time here, I am going to say let's let's adjourn this session. Thank you again for your help. If you're watching this, please like, subscribe, hit the notifications button, just like all other YouTube videos that you're asked to do. And if you need to find Rich, Rich, where do they find you? Rveltry at veltrygroup.com. And you can find me at danpaulsonletsgo.com. And we will see you next week for another episode of Books in the Biz. Thanks again. Sounds good. Thank you.